Good morning, Vineyard. Sorry we're running on Vineyard time this morning. <laughs> Again. <laughs> no, say good morning to everybody online. Hey, David. Is this camera working? Is it? Okay. I don't see a green light on it, that's all. We're good. There we go. Well, it was a busy weekend. How many here served for CFK this week? Yeah, give yourselves a big round of applause. It's always great for uh, just a wonderful weekend. It's tradition now. It's been years and years at some form that we've served, and I think it's it's a tribute to uh, Brent's heart to take the church always outside the building, you know. We may have people come here, but, you know, the reality is we've, we've reached out, and through the years, it's been cool because we've hit different pockets of people. Some years we've had heavy, we connected to, like, heavy social worker people who did single moms, and, you know, so we had, we had that in the fold, and and because the program has been around for so long, it's neat when we get to talk to new people because you find out how they hear about it. Um, and it's also, it's kind of not a non-challenge, but when you're serving, you know, 180 families a week, we get to speak into some people's lives, people who need. So again, from just a community base, just a church base, you guys are amazing and uh, we get to serve and we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So if you feel like standing, you can get to your feet. We're going to worship with music. And then we've got the story this morning. We've got our Advent lighting. Brent's going to bring an amazing message as we continue on with our Advent series. And our time of fellowship, I just pray that you're encouraged today and that whatever you've brought in with you that you don't want to take out with you that you give it away to Jesus Amen Amen There's a new baby Who has a new baby here? Grandpa? Well nepotism but there's, there's our grandson right there Yeah Oh, yeah, and Zane and Kaylee are here, too, so. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. I used to not let people in until they mentioned my name in my house. Yeah, it's awesome. He's got the headphones on, and he's jamming out to, I think, P. Diddy, so.
Yeah. 
as we continue in our offering with our offering and our worship this morning we're going to collect from the back to the front reading out of Matthew 6 19 and 21 it says do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where's your, where your treasure is, there is where your heart shall be. And all you had to be is with us over this week to see that he honors that. He honors the giving. He honors the sacrifice. And he wants the kingdom to come.
Well, Father, we thank you this morning for just your continued faithfulness and your continued guidance. And we ask that with all that has been given this morning, for that which is financially given, for that which was given from prayer and from work, and just for people just keeping the heart of this church in their minds. We lift this up to you, and we ask that you do with it to further your kingdom within and outside these walls. And we ask and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Again, thank you for your giving. If you didn't get a chance, uh, the small table will be still back in the back where you can give, and also you can check out the bulletin for last week's giving. Welcome. We're excited that you've come, whether you're online or whether you're with us in person. Uh, It's going to be a great day. We had an awesome Christmas for Kids yesterday, so thank you again. Everyone who was a part of Christmases for Kids is an amazing, amazing operation takes months and months and months to plan, and then boom, it goes, and it goes incredibly well, thanks to all the amazing planning for those people that head that group up. So I do want to say on another topic that there is hope for Browns fans. You know why? You know why? Because the Haslam's that own the Browns also own the Columbus crew, and they won the championship yesterday. So there is hope for Browns fans. All right, today uh, we continue our Advent series called The Bright Valley. Pastor Brent will be preaching what Christmas means from Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. Grab your Bible or cell phone to look up today's text or follow along in the bulletin. It is incredible when you read the Bible and you read Isaiah and you see the prophecies that 750 years or whatever later came true. Uh, that, and it's just prophecy after prophecy shows that Jesus is who he says he is. Today marks the third Sunday of Advent. The third candle represents joy. So joy to the world, folks. Adeb Sadowski and Emily will come up and read today's Advent verses and to light candle number three. Good morning, everybody. Um, Emily is not well today, and I know this is like a family reading, so my sister in faith, Diane, is going to share the reading with us. Today's story is from Matthew 1, today's reading from Matthew 1, 18 through 21, and it begins, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man 
and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. joy. Well, we can't say thank you to CFK people enough. We do have a short video this week. We will have the long video version next week, so you'll have to hold and come back for that one. But here we'll have our short video from CFK yesterday, and you'll be waiting tentatively to see next week's long version. All right, we've missed you this week. We'll get you next week, just saying. <laughs> All right, uh, Food Resource Center back in action starting tomorrow at 4.30. Uh, we need some help here to pack the boxes. And then on Tuesday, 11, volunteers set up, three volunteers to help give it away. And big time, we need at 6, we need to help clean up. So why not come and volunteer during the Christmas season? This year, Christmas Eve is on December 24th. It's a Sunday, so we're going to have our Christmas Eve service Sunday morning. What a good idea, right? You can spend uh, Christmas Eve with your family, but you can get your service in Sunday morning. So great idea for those who thought of that. And again, that will be at 10 a.m. our usual time, so come and join us for Christmas Eve morning service. 
Servant recognition time. A special thanks to Cindy Langford, Carolyn Gracie, Emily, and Abby McBride for their beautiful work painting the church windows. So, And now, speaking of waiting, we've been waiting one whole week for the next installment of our Christmas story. And having just lost my father, who lived through the Depression and through this time, this uh, has been a special reading for me. So thank you, Denise. Good morning, good morning. My friend is not with me this morning. She had some gymnastics thing to do. I'm like, priorities, girl. But she'll be back to help me finish the story. So this year we're reading the book, The Carpenter's Gift. So let's get going. Nearly a lifetime had passed, but Henry could still remember what it felt like to wake up in the old shack, especially during wintertime. In those days, the Great Depression gripped the country like many people. His parents were out of work. They couldn't afford coal for the stove or warm blankets for the bed, so young Henry woke up with a shiver. But he didn't complain because it was nobody's fault. Instead, he visited warm places in his mind. One day in 1931, actually the day before Christmas, Henry was reading a book when he learned when he heard a loud toot-toot of a car horn. He opened the front door and saw his father behind the wheel of a borrowed truck. Want to go for a ride, Sparky? His father shouted over the rumbling engine. You bet, Henry shouted back, and he raced inside to get his coat. Riding in any sort of car was a special treat for Henry, and it was not to be missed. Soon he was sitting beside his father, nose pressed against the window glass. They drove into a nearby grove of evergreens. Henry breathed in the strong, familiar smell. Here's the plan, his father said. You see those spruce trees, Sparky? We're going to cut them down and take them to the city. Well, why, Henry asked. To sell them as Christmas trees, his father said. Even though New York City was just about an hour's drive away, Henry had never been there before. He shivered with excitement, and he thought of seeing all those tall buildings and scrapings in the skyscrapers in the sky. When Henry and his father reached Midtown Manhattan, they began looking for a place to park and unload. Driving down Fifth Avenue, they found a good spot near a construction site. Mind if I set up here? Henry's father asked the worker. The man looked them over, and it didn't take him long to figure out that Henry's father was way down on his luck. No problem, the man said. I'll give you a hand. My name's Frank. Then he turned around and he called out, Hey, Mikey, hey, Polly, come over here and help. Probably said, Hey, Mikey, hey, Polly, come over here and help. (laughs) For the rest of the afternoon, Henry and his father sold trees to passerbyers. By the end of the day, they had earned enough money to make the trip a success. We should be getting home now, Henry's father said as the sun began to set behind the tall buildings. Well, what about the rest of the trees, Henry asked. I thought we'd give them to Frank and the other fellows. Henry nodded in agreement. The best presents are the ones we don't expect, he thought. Because it was Christmas Eve, the workers were having a little party. 
Frank and the others took the tallest trees that Henry and his father had given them, and they decorated them with whatever they could cobble together, paper garland, cranberries threaded on a string, even a few shiny tin cans. Henry added an ornament of his own. He made a new, took a newspaper and folded it into a star. In the background, he could hear his father talking to Frank about growing up, about grown-up things, the hard times for Henry's family, the shack in which they lived. But Henry didn't want to think about all those things. He just wanted to look at those marvelous, the most marvelous Christmas trees that he had ever seen. It had been the best day that Henry could remember. He didn't want it to end. He stood before the decorated tree enchanted. The street lamps just had come on and the tin cans glittered in their light. If ever there was a magic moment, Henry thought, this is it. He decided to, take, take him a special, to make a special Christmas wish. He wished that one day his family would live in a nice, warm house. After making his wish, Henry opened his eyes. His gaze fell on a pine cone lying on the ground. He picked it up and he was turning it over with his hands when his father gripped his shoulder. Time to go, Sparky, his father said. Henry stuffed the pine cone into his pocket. A good night said goodnight to the workers, and walked with his father back to the truck. By the time they arrived home, it was well past Henry's bedtime. You must be exhausted, his mother said, slipping off his boots. I'll go straight to bed with you. Shrugging off his coat, Henry felt the bulge in his pocket. It was the pine cone. He took it out and looked at it, remembering the joys of the day and the magic of that tree. The next morning, Henry and his parents... Henry's parents let him sleep in late. Go figure. In fact, it was well past eight when the toot toot of several car horns woke him up. Rushing to the window, he saw three trucks pulling up outside. All of them were loaded with lumber and other building supplies. Out at the wheel of the first truck was Frank, and behind the others were the Rockefeller Center workers. Well, where, what are they doing so far from home on Christmas morning? Frank got out of the truck. Well, after you left, we got to thinking, he said. There was all this extra wood lying around, and we had the day off. We thought we'd drive up and see what we can do to help you with this house of yours. Frank looked over to the shack, taking in, taking in its pitched walls and its ill-filling windows. I think we'll have to make a fresh start, he said. Henry's father didn't have the words for what the way that he felt, so he simply just looked up and shook Frank's hand. The sound of sawing and hammering traveled far enough, though far enough that Christmas morning for Henry's neighborhood is, was a wonder, and the far was to wonder what was going on. Sorry, I can't see through my tears. A few walked over and saw the new house going up, and spread the word. By mid-afternoon, a dozen more people were pitching in. As the new house took shape, Henry called over. Henry's father called him over. You see those boards? He said, pointing to the shack, the stack of cedar. We were going to use them to trim the windows, but they've got nails in them. I need you to pull them out. Henry moved to fetch the boards, but Frank called him back. Digging into his toolbox, he handed Henry an old claw hammer. You'll be needing this, Frank said. 
By nightfall, the frame of the new house was nearly done. By the end of the week, it had a roof. Soon enough, it was ready for Henry's family to move in. In the spring, Henry's parents celebrated with a potluck dinner. They invited everyone who helped build the house. Henry was glad to see Frank again. He was ready to return the claw hammer, but Frank wouldn't take it. You keep it, son, he said. It may come in handy someday. After dinner, Henry sat up in his very own room. He thought about his Christmas wish and couldn't believe it had actually come true. He knew that he should do something special to express how thankful he was. He thought long and hard about what it could be, and finally he decided to plant the pine cone. Maybe he could be Jack from the beanstalk story, and the pine cone would be his magic bean. He planted the pine cone beside his new, beside his new house. In time, the seedling emerged. Henry watered it, and he weeded it. As time passed, both he and the tree grew tall and strong. Henry especially liked to hammer away at it in its shade, and he became quite a good carpenter, building many projects with his skilled hands. Oh, what's going to happen? Did I miss a page? Hang on. Oh, I missed a page. Oh, psych. As Henry grew up, however, he became busy with other things. He got married. He moved away. He had a family. Most summers, though, he returned to his parents. On lazy days, he sat beneath the tree with his son, teaching him how to build things with his new claw hammer. Now we're done. Now we have to come back for the final installment. What's, what's with the warnings and crying today? They're all crying. You guys are all crying. If you want it for a Christmas present, why don't we all just give them a box of Kleenex? Okay? It would be good. I know. They're, Kaylee and Zane's little baby looks like Princess Leah today. She's got the, the ear things on. Um, what? Or he. Well, that's weird then. Anyway, never mind. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> that's true. Oliver. Oh, well. I'm out of it. Okay. Welcome. It's good to see all of you this morning. We, we uh, were a little thin this morning because so many people were here yesterday. They kind of, um, I think some people are exhausted, but we're glad you're here because you get to like experience whatever God has. And those of you who are out watching online, we're glad to have you with us too. I'm going to take a minute. We got a call this morning from um, uh, Suzette Simmons, and some of you know Suzette, and her sister Vanessa. Vanessa's getting ready to go be with Jesus. She's not doing well, so Teresa and I are going to run up to the hospital after this and go pray with her, but I'm going to take a minute, and we can just join and pray with her too, because as we have people coming into this world, sometimes people are going out, and so some of you who knew Vanessa knew that she was always smiling, she always loved, she always wanted to get a ride on my motorcycle, 
um, which I never got a chance to give her because my body was falling apart too. So um, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we're, we're glad, Lord, that, that you, you went to prepare a home for us. You told us that, that, if, that our, let not our hearts be troubled. In our Father's house are many rooms, and you went to prepare a place for us. And I know that you're even now preparing a place for Vanessa, and we pray for her. We pray for Suzette and her family as they journey. Come, this journey for Vanessa comes to an end, this journey in this world. And we pray, Lord, that you would come and, as you do, just greet her and walk her into eternity, into that, that kingdom beyond that we can't, even, we can't even comprehend the beauty that lies there. So thank you, and thank you for her. And may, may, may your grace be with this whole family, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Today we're going to talk about the meaning of Christmas. We're doing a series called The Bright Valley. And The Bright Valley has to do with the fact that in this world we kind of walk through, we're, we're sort of walking through valleys, all of us are. We walk through different valleys. You know, Some of us it's physical challenges, some of us it's emotional challenges, some of us it's just pain in life or financial struggles or just a lot of things that you come in here with and and not everybody knows about, but you know about, and God knows about your challenges. And so this morning, passage we're looking at isn't one that we typically hear on Christmas. It's from Isaiah. And like I've said before, Isaiah is like the fifth gospel. It's just got these beautiful images of God's kingdom and of what God's kingdom is going to be like. And, and I, would lo- I would look forward to meeting Isaiah because I think the more I read his writings, the more I go, oh my goodness, this... He had a vision of God and a vision of his kingdom that we can just barely comprehend. And um, when I grew up, I want to write just like Isaiah. Um, well, probably not exactly like him, but anyway. Um, and, and today we're talking about the meaning of Christmas-home. Because part of what Isaiah is doing in the passage that we're looking at is he's talking about God bringing his people from exile home, home. And for them, they thought of home as, as, as Zion or Jerusalem. But, but Jerusalem, even, even the, the real literal Jerusalem that they were wanted and longed for to come home to was really just an earthly image of, of, of the fullness of what God has for all of us. I don't know about you, but um, uh, for me, Christmas... My family really did Christmas. I mean, they just, my, my parents just loved Christmas. My dad would put big speakers outside the house, and almost 24-7 he would have them blasting into the neighborhood. I don't know if the neighbors appreciated it, but we always did. You could always tell our house, and he had lights everywhere. And we would go, and, and as we got older, they had a, lake, a place on a lake. In this lake place, they would... Um, uh, decorate and it had like a big vaulted living room so we would go out the day after thanksgiving typically and cut down like the biggest tree they could find i mean this this thing you the the vaulted ceiling in their living room went up at probably about 20 feet so they would get like a 18 foot tree or something like that it was crazy it was crazy and so uh, that was christmas and then my mom would make all of these um 
uh, chocolate candy. She, was a, she loved baking and making chocolate candies. And, and I loved going in whenever I could sneak in while she was making the chocolate candy. She would make like, these chocolate-covered cherries. And I, part, of, part of what I enjoyed, because this is like, I, I guess I'm sort of a little bit like the, the Grinch, sort of. No, not the Grinch, just... Anyway, um, I love to go and, and, and sneak in some tomatoes in the cherries and dip them in the chocolate. And so every once in a while, somebody would be <laughs> throwing chocolate-covered cherries in, and they'd go, Ugh, what was that? You know, that was, that was fun. Um, lots, of, lots of good, good times. And just... You know, and I remember, uh, you know, Teresa and I would drive back, and, and it was always a little bit of a challenge because we'd always try and find a bed, and my, and my parents had a pretty big house on the lake. But, you know, we never knew where we were going to end up sleeping, so we'd end up sleeping somewhere. And inevitably, I'd end up up on the couch in the living room. And I remember just kind of half waking up, and part of me was half waking up wondering what my siblings were going to do to me, so I had to kind of live in a little bit of paranoia. But also just this, this sense of calm and peace. It just felt safe. It felt good. And that was home. And since then, you know, my, my parents are both gone. They're gone to be with Jesus. And um, uh, my family, my siblings all have their own families and their kids, and they all have their homes now. So when we go, quote, home, we don't really, Teresa and I are a little bit um, kind of vagabonds when we go back to Minnesota. We, we try and find a place to stay. We sometimes just knock on people's, anybody's door and say, hey, can we stay with you for a while? And, and uh, no, nobody really usually does that. But, um, and and we, have, we have some of our family, Teresa's brother and my sister, that, that, that sometimes don't have lots of other people in their house and they let us stay. But we long for home. We long for home. And sometimes that doesn't happen. I know for a lot of you, home wasn't that. wasn't like a great place. For a lot of you, sometimes it was kind of not good at all. And even some of your present home situations aren't that great. But um, we're, we'll get into that in a minute, too. Um, but I love what Frederick Buechner says. Buechner says Frederick Buechner's a, a poet, writer, theologian. He says, joy is home. God created us in joy and created us for joy. Do you know God created you for joy? And in the long run, not all the darkness there is in the world and in ourselves can separate us finally from that joy. Because whatever else it means to say that God created us in his image, I think it means that even when we cannot believe in him, even when we feel most spiritually bankrupt and deserted by him, his mark is deep within us. We have God's joy in our blood. And that's from Frederick Buechner's book, The Longing for Home. Cool book for a gift for somebody too. In fact, I, I discovered on my, on my when I was riding home on my motorcycle, and it has a built-in GPS thing on it. And they must have updated the GPS because as I, it, first of all, it, it automatically, if I don't put something in it, it automatically tracks me back to our house, back to not in Minnesota, but in in uh, Euclid. And it, and it, when I started pulling close to home, this little heart came over my home. And I was like, oh, and, and all the ladies go, oh, and all the guys go, you are getting too sappy, Brad. You're on a motorcycle. You're on a motorcycle, dude. You can't, like, anyway, it was just kind of cool. I thought it was cool. 
you know, a little heart there, and Teresa's there, and it's like, and my two cats are there, who don't really show us a ton of love, but they like food, so there you go. Um, so, and, and in reality, the reality is that in this world, we're homeless in one sense. We're in exile. I was driving downtown the other day. And I don't mean to shift the comfortable metaphor, but that's kind of how it is. I was driving downtown and I saw, you know, I've been seeing tents and stuff like in San Francisco and Southern California and stuff, but there were tents on the way downtown, down Payne Street and, and uh, Superior. And there were just families they were homeless. And, I, you know, there's not easy answers to some of those things. But the bottom line is that, that we, people don't do well. It's, we're created to be homeless like that. There's not the systems in place there for taking care of somebody living in a tent in the city. And there's whole families. You know, we used to go down to the... Um, different places, the justice center and stuff that, that would have temporary shelters for for people who are homeless. And I, you know, it changes when you actually go down and begin talking sometimes with some of the people that are homeless. It changes your idea about it. Sometimes we think, well, people just do that because they want to do it. And I remember one one time we went down there and there was a a gentleman there and I just started talking with him and I said, hey, but you know, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? And he said, you know, I was he said I was a trucker. And I had a wife and a daughter, and he said, my, my wife died, and then my daughter died, and I just couldn't, I couldn't hold it together. And he said, I just ended up here. And we don't always know what people's stories are. We can look at them and go, well, they're just, they could get out of that if they wanted to. But you know what? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. And so the passage that I'm reading today, it kind of comes right after chapter 34. It's chapter 35, which 34 comes before 35, and then 35. I learned that. That's one of the things I learned while I was studying this passage. It was a good lesson for me. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the 35 is, 34 kind of talks about exile and what exile is like and it describes I won't go into it a lot here right now but it, it describes just the the barrenness of the desert and it's a, it's only fit for jackals and 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 hoodals. you know it's not fit for habitation and then suddenly we come to verse 35 in fact somebody said verse 35 almost seems out of place after you read chapter 34 because chapter 34 is so bleak and so barren. But then we come to chapter 35 and it says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. And the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. And the splendor of Carmel and, Carmel and Sharon. And they will see the glory of the Lord. And those are three countries or areas that had just beautiful blossoming glory. They will see the glory of the Lord, and the glory of the Lord is his beauty. And the splendor of our God, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, 
Say to those with fearful hearts. Are you here with a fearful heart today? Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He comes with vengeance and with divine retribution. And he will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the, the lame will leap like a deer and the mute, will, the mute tongue will shout for joy and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground a bubbling spring. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there and it will be called the highway to holiness. And it will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not journey about it, and wicked fools won't even care about it. No lion will be there, nor ravenous beast, nor will be, there, nor will be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those whom the Lord has rescued. And they will enter Zion with singing, and everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. And Lord, just bless your words this morning. May, may your, the meditations of our heart and the, the words of my lips be pleasing to you today, Lord, and fitting for your people. Amen. One writer writes, Chapter 34 had imagined that Yahweh would nullify every threat from the world of Jerusalem. God would come in vengeance to vindicate Zion. Now you have to remember... Israel had been taken over by country after country after country. They had watched their families and their, their children and their parents be murdered and slaughtered and, and all of this injustice. So when it talks about vengeance and things like that, we, we don't always understand that. But, but if, if you're in a lot of parts of the world today, you get it. You get why that's important, why justice is important, why it's important for God to make things right. If you grow up as a minority in our community, you often really understand what's going on. And even those of us who haven't grown up in a minority circumstance have had circumstances in our life where we sometimes we need to see God things make things right, don't we? Having cleared the ground of all such threats, reducing Edom to nullify, now in chapter 35, God's vengeance of reconciliation Pence received positive content. The chapter consists of a lyrical anticipation of a time when all creation will be restored to well-being and the faithful will be healed and brought home safely and joyously. A theme is that of, coming, of the coming governance of Yahweh will radically transform the bereft nature and the disabled history. There's no doubt that this chapter is intimately joined by the vision of homecoming in chapters 40 through 55. It's a homecoming. And so the meaning of Christmas starts really with, um, with the reality of exile, that we've been exiled from God. At the very beginning of humanity, we, we separated ourselves from God. The world is not as it should be. I was watching the news this week, and I don't, you know, it's hard for me sometimes to watch the news. I was watching the news. This first there's a reported shooting in one place, and then a shooting in another place. And then there's the, the, just the, the vitriolic hatred being spewed by different parties politically, Democrat and Republican, just kind of. And then there's, 
there's just you know stuff going on and, and Ukraine's being just an embattled place and in Israel and Hamas and Palestine is there's just these violent things going on in our world. And the ground itself, the earth itself, is filled with exile. They've discovered, they discovered a while ago, I don't know if any of you have heard, if, if, know about this, but they discovered that we actually have, over time, we have developed, we have a certain amount of plastic in our system. Do you know that? Do you have plastic in your systems? Do you know why they discovered why we have plastic in our systems? Because there's so much plastic in the oceans that the fish eat it, and then we eat the fish, and then we get plastic, which is kind of weird to think about. I mean, that we actually have plastic in us. But the very earth itself is living in exile from God. It lives in violence and turmoil. And there's massive, you know, over the years we remember, just massive tsunamis coming and wiping out hundreds of thousands of people. And fires destroying hundreds and thousands of people. This is a, has nothing to do with, or it does, or it doesn't, whatever, with, with, with the whole arguments of global warming and, you know, all that stuff. The bottom line is that, that our earth is not what it was intended to be. And how much we've contributed to that, I don't know. But I know that I've been places, I've had the privilege of going to a lot of places. I remember going to another place in another, one of the um, kind of Asian countries. And I'm, I'm in this place, and, and they brought me to this beautiful park. It was a beautiful park. But the, but the, the whole attitude of, of, of the peoples there, there wasn't kind of this understanding that that you shouldn't just throw stuff everywhere. And so in this beautiful park, there was this litter. And the peop- even the people I was with, I was with some Christians, were just kind of, we were eating lunch and then just kind of throwing stuff in the, in the, in the creek. And, in the, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I was down, and we were down in um, working with Nicaraguan refugees down by Costa Rica once. And, and the river that came flowing down this waterway smelled so bad. And we're like, what is that smell? And they said, well, it's two things. It's Nicaraguan refugees. They have no sewer system. So all the, everything just flows into the river. And then there was a giant coffee plant that was just dumping all its toxins into the river. And it, and it was not what it was supposed to be. We live in exile. And God even spoke that when we chose to separate ourselves from him. It says, to Adam he said, because you have listened to your wife, this is in Genesis, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles. And you will eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, for since you are taken from dust, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And we live just in this, in this world of amazing exile. Exile. And I think all of us do. It's, it's not just the homeless that are living there. We all have a sense 
that this isn't the way things are supposed to be when, when people die, when families die. I've had people go, well, it's just the natural part of life. And anybody who's had somebody close to them die, we don't just go, oh, that's just the natural part of life. We go, oh, this is not okay. I had to watch my dad, you know, just over the last probably 20 years, 15 years of his life, his mind slowly decaying and his body slowly decaying. And I thought, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way our king set it up. This was not God's original intent for humanity. This is not just the way it's supposed to be. And those of you out there that struggle with various sicknesses and illnesses and and just getting older, our bodies just start falling apart. I was I was walking this week out to my car. I had to go. I don't remember where I was. I was somewhere. Um, my memory is fine, but I don't remember where I was. Um, and I'm walking out to my car, and I'm I'm thinking my my hips not working, and various other parts of my body's not working good. And I I just I just kind of turned to God and I said, God, I need a new body. This one is really not in great shape. I'm trying to fix it. You know, I'm trying. They try and stitch it together and put new parts in it and stuff like that. But, you know, the bottom line is uh, we need new bodies, don't we? I think we do. And the bottom line is that, that God's desire is to bring about a great reversal. And that's what this is speaking about. He's speaking about what is coming. What do, what do we... What do we look forward to? What do we have hope in? What gives you hope? And this passage is so filled with, you know, we kind of get accustomed to this world and like, okay, it's just the way it is. You know, injustice, just the way it is. Sickness, just the way it is. And, And we do, we get a little bit used to it. You know, I'm trying to adapt to having a, a bad leg that one day I'll probably have to have fixed. You know, we get kind of used to that. That's what God says. He says this. He says, the desert and the parched land will be glad and the wilderness will rejoice. All of creation itself will be set free. Creation itself is also groaning. Do you you realize there's this beautiful... God, God was like the first environmentalist. Do you know that? Do you know what his first commission and commandment to humanity was? Here's the world. What? Care for it. Take care of it. Watch over it. Be stewards over it. I'm giving you keys to the car. Don't crash it and puke in it, okay? But he says... Even with all that, he says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. He's speaking of creation shouting for joy. Can you, other places he talks about the trees of the field clapping their hands. Can you picture that? Some people go, oh, that's just a metaphor for creation being made right. I don't know. I watched a Disney show once and the trees clapped. If Disney can imagine it, I think God can do it, right? 
The glory of Lebanon will give it to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. And these were places that were lush and rich. You ever been to a place that you just go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I was in a rainforest once when we went to Costa Rica. And they, had, they literally had leaves on plants that were bigger than me. Well, at least then. Now I might be almost as big as they are. But anyway, it was just amazing. And, it, and we're looking at this and we're going, oh my gosh. God's creation is so beautiful. And even the exiled creation that we live in speaks of the glory of God, shows us his beauty. And they will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Our beautiful creation is a reflection of our creator, but it's marred by exile. Teresa and I, many years ago, we went down to... My grandparents used to own a place down in Tucson... And so we went down there a couple times. We went down there for our honeymoon, which was, which was fun. Although I think my grandparents forgot to tell their neighbor. They had kind of a Alice Kravitz neighbor down there who used to kind of snoop around and make sure. So Teresa and I got in late one night. And we're like laying in bed sleeping. And all of a sudden, this woman comes walking into the bedroom that we're sleeping in. What are you doing here? And we're like, what are you doing here? Like, 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 it's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Only there were just two of us. Um, but while we were there, something amazing happened. They actually got some snow, which I think maybe we brought with us. I'm not sure. But so we're, Teresa and I, the people there were like all aghast, you know, because they don't get snow. But Teresa and I were, they had, a, they had an outdoor pool. Not my grandparents, but the whole, this whole complex they're in. And so Teresa and I are out in the pool while it's snowing. And everybody's like, you guys are crazy. And we're like, no, this is awesome. You know, it's like the pool was like 90 degrees or something. It was beautiful. But after that happened, all of a sudden the desert that was just a desert just blew into blossoms and beauty. And that's what God's saying. We're, we're, it's coming. He's, he's bringing great reversal. We need, as people of God, we need, you know, I think we've, we've just settled. We've settled like, well, this is just the way it is. And we've lost our vision. And Isaiah didn't lose his vision of what God is about, what God's bringing. God's bringing us out of exile. He's making things right. In fact, Paul envisions this in in Romans 8, where he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. These present sufferings of our body, as bad as they might be. You know, right now, you know, it's the, some of you know that the last couple of weeks I haven't been real friendly to my body. You know, I did a, a head plant on the uh, concrete floor on the floor one, and I had this, I looked like a, a, a Klingon from Star Trek for a while. It was a big thing, and then my hip's not working real good, and my fans don't work real good, and, you know, Stuff and I and I whine and I whine and moan and then Teresa goes, "Oh, you poor dear, get get back to work." Um, <laughs> she doesn't really do well. She kind of does that, but anyway. Um, but Romans eight says, "For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed." Why? 
What is the what is creation wait for the children and what does it mean for the children of God to be revealed? For us to be made into what we were intended to be. You know what? One of these days we're gonna there's this great there was this great picture in this marriage thing we did with Tim Keller and his wife. Kathy. And he's tell, he, he gives us this image at the very end of it and he says, You know, one day I know that Kathy's gonna be standing in front of Jesus filled with the glory of God. And Tim said, and I'm going to look at her and, I, and, I, and I'm going to say, you know what? I always knew that's who you could be. And she's going to look at him and go, I always knew that's who you could be. And there's a glory there that one, we'll somehow recognize each other, but, but we will be everything we, we were supposed to be and nothing that we're not. And I won't be a grumpy old man anymore. That will be so nice, especially for my wife. Um, for creation was subjected in frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And Kaylee can relate to that. How is this going to happen? It's going to happen by the coming of God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the weak. And I don't know about you, but my hands are a little bit feeble. Steady the knees that give way. My knees give way sometimes. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. Retribution, he will save you. And we look at that vengeance, retribution, oh, we don't want that. Well, the bottom line, what that is saying is that God's going to make things right. Don't you want God to make things right? In order to make things right, you have to deal with the things that are wrong. You don't just make things right and let the things that are wrong continue. And that's, that's so amazing. One writer writes, how can we get home from our distant country? How can we survive and navigate our desert places? Only by trusting the one whom the demon possessed even, called the Holy One of God. We don't have to pay a toll to get on the superhighway of God because the price has been paid. Not accidentally, Isaiah 40 says, that it is the Lord himself who will travel the highway through the desert. He walked the way of holiness so we could too. We're not there yet, so Advent is a season of waiting and expectation and anticipation, especially for those who have still have much sorrow and sighing. But this lovely picture in Isaiah 35 assures us that the God who came to save us will come again and transform our deserts and lead us home. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It happens because God entered into our exiles. You know that part of the way God, the way that God gets us out of exile is by he himself coming into our exile. When Jesus came into this world, he didn't come to big fanfares and all that kind of stuff. He was born into poverty. He was born into exile. He took upon himself the exile that we, we deserved. John puts it this way, the true light that gives light to everyone 
was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. God himself came into our world, and we didn't recognize who he was. Let's ask this Christmas, this season, let's ask that God would show us where he's working and who he is daily. Because you know what? He's working daily in our lives. He came, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. He made the world. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husband's will, but born from the Spirit of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He entered into our reality. And yet when he entered into our reality, it was... It was in exile that he entered into reality. His, 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 his mom, Mary, and Joseph, his, his stepdad, had to travel because of the whim of some political leader and ruler, had to travel for mile after mile while she was in her, her, her final term. I was going to say fourth term, but they don't have, there's not a fourth term. Fourth term, you have the baby, right? It's not baby, it's not. Third term. Um, third term? I don't know. Final term. Anyway, she was fully pregnant, okay? She was ready. And when they, when they found a place, the place that she had to give birth, Kaylee had to give birth, and most of you get, get to give birth in okay places in general. She had to give birth some, you know, in the tradition of Christmas, we talk about a stable. It never really talks about a stable. It talks about the fact that he was placed in a feeding trough. And the feeding trough looked more like this than the nice, beautiful wooden things that we have. This was a, this was a first century Jewish, Israel, Roman feeding trough. This is where we put the animal food. And then he was laid on a, 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 a manger. He was, he was laid on straw. You know, we sing this beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful song, way in a manger, a crib for his bed, you know, the little Lord Jesus laid on his sweet head. The cattle are lowing, the poor babe awakes, but no crying he makes, really? Really? No crying he makes? Something's wrong with the kid. No, do you think Jesus cried? Yeah! You think straw is comfortable? You ever lay on straw? It's not comfortable. It makes you itchy. It makes you really itchy. Tim Keller does a great job in this passage. He talks about we've sentimentalized the the nativity scene. It's not intended to be like, oh. It's intended to be like, this, this is how God incarnate came into our world. Mary has to give birth it was people assume it's either a cave or it's in the basement of a house where they kept all the animals or a barn. You ever been in a barn? I don't know, but I know, I'm, you know, I don't know what it's like to have to give birth. I know what it's like for my wife. She's the only time in her, her whole life she grabs my hand and she goes, "Get me some drugs." I'm like, yes, dear. 
And she was, Teresa, Teresa was like, she was like one of the, she looked exactly the same, except right here she looked like she swallowed a basketball. And so she's not really big, and so having another person there was like, you know, whatever. Um, and we love our little person that came from there. But he was born, he was, she had to give birth. And I don't know if Joseph was the one who helped deliver her. But we're talking exile. We're talking hard. This is the God who made... Jesus literally was the one who was in heaven, who spoke creation into existence. And he comes into our world and he's not welcome. In fact, he's, he has, Mary has to give birth in this horrible, awful, stinky place. You ever been in a barn? Barns are really stinky. And there's full of poop everywhere. You know, they poop everywhere. They're not sanitary. And they're noisy. And they're unsanitary. And you get like poof and mouth disease or whatever you get. I don't know what you get. It's... It, Jesus came into our exile. You realize that that's how God, how God gets us out of exile is he comes into our exile. He becomes exiled for our sake so we can go home. I don't want to ruin Christmas for you, so next time you sing Away in a Manger, you're going to go, ah, I can just picture some of you at home, your family singing Away in a Manger, you go, whoa, 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 wait. It was stinky, and there was poop there, and there was pee there, and it was just a nasty place. Nasty. You don't want to be there. <laughs> but the result of his exile... And, and you know what? One, one writer said, you know, he may have been, it's very possible a lot of times they would keep their animals in a cave. And if it was, he was born in a cave. And after he died, he was placed in a cave. And Jesus, even while he was here, he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He had no place in this world. And yet, he comes to die for it so we could come home. And the result of his exile is exile undone. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground a bubbling spring. The haunts where jackals once lay will be filled with grass and reeds and papyrus. And I love this passage because guess what? When John the Baptist is about to be killed and he's at, he sends his, two of his disciples to go ask Jesus because John the Baptist is about to be killed. And he's thinking, if God's kingdom's here, what's up? What's up, cuz? You know, it's his cousin. What's up, cuz? Are you him? I could use a little help here. A little life rope. Help. I'm, gonna, I'm about to be beheaded. Jesus' response to him is really interesting. He says this. 
When the men came to ask Jesus in, John, in Luke, Luke 7, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one to come or should we expect somebody else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits and gave insight and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied, go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who leprosy are clean, are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is, any, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, the kingdom's here now. I have come into the exile of this world, and I have begun the restoration process. Do you know that that's what we're about? This is what, when we talk about in the church, you may hear us talking about the already but not yet of the kingdom. When Jesus came the first time, Christmas, what Christmas means is that God, at Christmas, the first Christmas, began ushering his kingdom, paradise, the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth has already begun in the ministry and person of Jesus. And that's exactly what he's saying here. The blind, he's, quoting from, he's quoting from Isaiah 35. Do you ever wonder where that quote came from? It's Isaiah 35. He's saying, it's already started, people. Why do we pray for the sick? Why do we do Christmas for kids? Why do we feed the hungry? Because we want to give little signposts of what God's kingdom is going to look like. This is what it's going to look like. I, I love this church. Yesterday I was here, and I was you know, kind of hobbling around a little bit. and I still have my black eyes a little bit, but you know, it's getting better. And, and I was standing out by, in between the doors there, and Mike Reese was there. Hi, Mike. And Mike, Mike goes, I, he said something about pray for you. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And, I, and he was saying, did somebody pray for you? And I said, yeah. And he said, no. And then I go, no, no, no. You, you can pray for me. And he prayed for me, for God's kingdom. And I trust that God heard that prayer, Mike. And I just love it. I love it. I love being part of a community. That the first thing people ask you when they look at you and you're hobbling around and stuff, they go, hey, can we pray for you? We can do that, right? Why do we do that? We do that because we, we see signs. We see tales of the kingdom. When Jesus came, he left a lot of tales of the kingdom, didn't he? The kingdom's here. There's a new day coming. There's a slow train coming. Makes me want to go into that. Who did that slow train coming? Anyway. um, And the bottom line, he's come to bring us home. He's come to bring us home. He's come to bring us home out of exile. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the highway of holiness. It will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not go about it. Wicked fools will not go on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those who the Lord has rescued will return. Return where? Return home to what was originally. You see, God doesn't just make things like they used to be. His new heaven and new earth are going to be better. We, we screwed, I mean, this is amazing. We screwed it up. So, I mean, we would be, you know, it would be a grace for him just to make things the way they were. But God says, no, you know what? I know you screwed it up. I'm going to make it even better. 
It's like going and wrecking your dad's, you know, your dad gives you keys to the car and you go and you wreck the car. And, it, and, you know, he had a whatever, you know. And, 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 and he goes, oh, you know, and, and then the next Christmas comes around and he, and he gets us, a, you know, a, a, a Mustang, whatever, like one of the high-end ones. And we're like, wow, this is even better. And this, this, and God, again, God makes a path for it, a highway, a way to get there. And the way to get there is through His redemption and through His grace, not through trying to be holy by ourselves, not through trying to do all this stuff. It's by getting on the path that God has given us. And they will enter Zion with singing and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. I, there's this new commercial out that I just love. It's this picture of these three older women and they're sitting, it's by Amazon, I think. And they're sitting, watching all these kids slide down this hill. And you know, one of the sucky things about getting older is people just kind of write you off and then they put you in this place that nobody wants to be in, whatever. But these women, all of a sudden, you know, they look at an Amazon and they find these little cushion things. And then next thing you know, you see them going down there going, Woo! Rock on! Yes! You know, I don't know if they did that, but... But it's a picture of joy. And joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I am making all things new, says our Lord. So, Father, would you come? Would you help us to participate in making this world more like home? Help us to care about this world. Help us to care about what it looks like and how we treat it and help us to care about those who who are living in exile help us to care enough to to maybe pray for them and to maybe share who you are and that you are one who can make not their life not only what it used to be but better and god we we live in this christmas hope not of just May, may we not just settle and be complacent and just go, that's just the way it is. May we work towards bringing the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, as you desire. Until that day you come back and you say, behold, I make all things new. And may we have faith to believe, like it said in that very beginning, even when our faith wanes and our bodies cry, that we realize that this present suffering isn't even to be compared to what you have for us. And I pray for those out there today who are despairing, who are hurting. We pray again for Suzette. And we pray for our world, Lord. We pray for Ukraine. We pray for Israel and Palestine. We pray for, Lord, the people in North Korea. We pray for for the people in China, we pray, Lord, just for your kingdom to break forth. And may we be a light. May we be a, a signpost pointing the way home for people. 
If you're here this morning and you don't know how to come home, it's, it's real simple. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they not die yet, shall they live. Get on the Jesus train. He was exiled for you. He died for you. He rose again. Amen. Um, anybody who wants prayer, please come up. And um, God bless you. Love you guys. You guys are a great church. Good job, church. Yay. Give yourself a hand. Good job this week. Okay. It has, it has boy germs on it. Sorry. It's not. Oh, gosh. Um, this has nothing to do with prayer. It's nothing spiritual. <laughs> um, there was an announcement that we were going to do today that um, we didn't, and I just wanted to um, make sure that you guys knew. There's these cards out on the info center. There's a program called Simply Give. And it's through Meyer. Has any of you guys shop at Meyer and Mentor? Or know of Meyer and Mentor? It's on Mentor Avenue. It's a great store. It's got food and other things. M-E-I. Um, anyway, so we've got this program going on. It started October 1st. It ends at the end of this month. And everybody can go into the store and take one of these off the register. And this goes toward our church, our food pantry. So it's increments of $10. But on December 16th, which is Saturday, anything you donate gets tripled. So if you can make it out to Meyer, if you can hold off for a couple extra days to do some shopping, go out to Meyer, grab one of these cards at the register, hand it to them, tell them how much you want to donate. If you donate 10, we end up with $30. So again, it's going to help our food pantry with the numbers keep going up. So we are very busy and we can appreciate your help. Thanks. Thank you.